This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the preview show brought to you by the Known and Ever podcast in association with the Fan Network at TalkSport. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week to look back at the midweek game away at Birmingham and look forward to our weekend fixture against Sunderland are analysis show colleagues Tom Whitaker and Rich Steele. The Holy Trinity is on. Gentlemen, good evening. Evening, Natalie. Um, I really should stop calling us that because the rest of the non-never team will stop uh, will stop contributing at all. I'm going to dive straight in, gentlemen, and let's let's have a look at that midweek game against Birmingham. The Clarets have lost their spot at the top of the table, being overtaken not just by them lot down the road, but also QPR, weirdly. I didn't see that coming. Um, despite taking the lead quite late on, 75 minutes, they did concede again. And there was an inevitable feeling of a 1-1 draw for the Clarets. We're still third in the league. We're still very much in the mix. Um, Tom, let's start with you. What was your overall feeling of the game, particularly the result? Was this one of our usual regular 1-1s? Did this feel a little bit different? I think, yeah, it feels very different, to, in particular like the Cardiff and the Stoke one ones, the most recent ones where, you know, we've been on top and, and in control for the majority of the night and and we've conceded a late, late sucker punch. It wasn't that kind of game at all. I thought Birmingham gave us a really good game. Um, they they could have, they were the better team in the first half, for sure. They could have easily gone in and in front at half-time. Another one of Murich has uh, gone wandering in the box and, and look at the three header goes wide. But, um Second half, we, we, we certainly improved. We, we had a lot more of the ball in the second half. We looked a lot more threatening. It looked like it was going to be one of those games that was decided by a single goal. So when Goodmanson scored, I thought that's that's what I thought we'd need yeah. to win it. We probably don't deserve. But uh, I think a draw was a fair result. And and we did struggle to deal with with Birmingham's press and the physicality of the whole game. So they brought Jokovic on. They had another uh, another focus up at the, the top third of the pitch, and you could see where a goal was going to come from. Um, I think that that. Defenders that we were missing last night didn't help, but we we did look shaky throughout the game. We did look vulnerable, and so coming off that game, it didn't feel like two points dropped necessarily. I think just the manner, the fact that it's it's happened so often, where we've been one 0 up and conceded a late goal, that feels worse than it normally would do. But if you look at it just as the ninety minutes, I think a, a point was probably was was a fair reflection of the game. So didn't come off as downhearted of that one, especially away from home. It's probably a point earned rather than two drops on this occasion. 
Yeah, that's fine. I think, Rich, one of the things that Tom mentioned there was that change in defence. It was a very different looking defence to the one that we saw um, in our last couple of games. And it did impact on the game, didn't it? We did look, as 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 Tom said, really, really vulnerable. Do you think, do you think we've got a issue in having to try and squad rotate as Vincent Company wants to, or should we have a little bit more consistency when we swap players around? Well, I don't think it was done by purpose because both players are injured. So, oh, were they? Oh, really... I hadn't seen that. Yeah, oh, like okay, that I, I don't think the serious injuries, and I think that that back four has been playing really well together. I think the thing is with with the back four, you didn't in a in a way you didn't just lose two players. You almost lost three because Vitinha went right back to left back, and it was a, it was it, it was chalk and cheese the performance. You know, from Vitinha playing right back to left back for me, you know, it's it's very difficult. Playing against your foot, um, you know, you know, like I'm, like I'm left footed, and my position was left back. And any time I had to go and play right back, it, it was always very challenging, you know, to go and do that. Because um, you always feel like you you've got to come in, you know, inside of the pitch. And listen, I'm not going to go too much about Roberts uh, today. And then, t- you know, Taylor does a good job for us, but you can just tell he's not a centre half, can't you? And I think it just listen. I don't really think you can blame the back four for us drawing. Um, because I think they did all, all, all okay, but it just seemed to disjoint. Um, you know, the rest of the team just seemed a little bit disjointed. Uh, it could have, I think, it was possibly to do with Birmingham's press. I thought they had a really good aggressive press, and it wasn't just gun goal. Where if we beat the press, they were wide open like Swansea. I think they pressed at the right time. I think they sat deep at the right time. So I actually thought Birmingham were one of the better teams we've we've, we've played actually, and they've been on a good recent run of form. And it'd be really interesting to see where they go. You know, they got good physicality, like Tom said. And you know they've they've got some good young players, and even though we did concede late, it I wasn't it wasn't like the Cardiff game for me, the Stoke game. We were so disappointed. Mm. I just think the one thing we, we've just got to get that game management better. You know, yeah. the, I don't know if you've seen the goal back, Natalie, and watched it. Yeah, you know, I when we all, I always try and watch goals a few times when I, when I come and do the analysis show. And Bettino's taking a throw in, like. 25 yards into their own half, like into their half. And yeah. you're like, you, you don't need to take that throwing and we give the ball away and you've got Vitinho, Zaruri, Brown, they're all just completely out of position. Taylor has to come across the left back and then it just leaves gaps in, in the yeah. defence. So it's very exploitative. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, you know, it's the same as the Stoke game. You know, sometimes we just get caught high up the pitch instead of just, you know, there's 10 minutes to go there. There's no need for Vitinho to take the throwing. Like, so, you know, maybe... You know, maybe bring Zaruri off a bit more defensive type play. Maybe put Bastion out wide and just like just little things like Bastion take take the throwing and stay in our shape and get that one nil. And and it it is becoming a pattern that that is frustrating. And I thought we defended really well against Coventry. But one positive I will say, I know Murich made a bit of a mistake in the first half and they nearly scored. They had a lot of corners and I thought on the whole we defended actual corners really well. It's yeah, a bit vulnerable. I think the la- I think we've not conceded a, a goal from a corner since Preston. I think I'm right, which is kind of because Murich slipped. If my we do concede them from crosses in open play, but I think we're looking better at defending uh, set pieces. Uh, so that's my like kind of summary of the game as a whole. And I think, like Tom said, sometimes you've got to give credit to the opposition. And I think one one was a fair reflection of of the of the game. I think one of the things that, that um, I hear I'm hearing quite a lot now every single time we finish a game, Tom, is that. There seems to be a, a pattern for opposition managers to go into default 
they're the best side that we've played this season or they are the best side in the league. I don't know how much of that is a little bit of fanboyism around Vincent Company, but there is now starting to, now we're getting settled into the championship. There's definitely a reoccurring theme amongst managers and the Birmingham City manager said it again last night that they were absolutely thrilled with the point because we are the best side in the league. And I guess at what point do we start to believe our own hype? And at what point do we actually start to believe that we could be serious contenders here for not just promotion, but automatic promotion and maybe, dare we say it, the title? I think you have to say comments like that with, with quite a big pinch of salt, to be honest. I think if, if you remember the good old Premier League years, um, we always used to get told that we were a really good side when we turned up and rolled over and had our tummy tickled. And it was when you play in a way that the opposition doesn't like, when you're, when you're needling them, you know, when you're nicking points that they don't want. That's when you used to get criticised. And I think if you're, say, if you're John Eustace, it's in your interest to say, well, Burnley are the best team in the league because it makes, makes you look better having got a point off them. Or if you're Russell Martin on Saturday, we've just batted you 4-0 and you can hold your hands up and say, well, you know, it's not my fault we're playing the best team in the league. So things like that, I don't I don't take too much uh, notice of those, to be honest. Um, it's obvious that we are one of the better teams in the league. We would be 12 unbeaten if we weren't. Um, but there was a lot of talk after Saturday, you know, it's an emphatic win and, the, and we, we we played really, really well. But we've not seen that enough and we certainly haven't seen it consistently. So I think it's a bit early to say that we are the best side in the division. I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot of teams that are very sort of similar on points. We've drawn way too many games. I think it's too easy for teams to get a point off if they want it. There's, there's obvious weaknesses of ours that you can exploit. And I think, um, you know, we were talking about depth not so long ago. I think at the back... Um, We've probably only got two centre halves, really. Um, you know, Bayer and um, and uh, Howard Bellis, and like Rich says, Taylor still doesn't look like centre half. He obviously doesn't trust Long, or I think he would have come on yesterday. Um, and that would have been a good idea to bring Long on yesterday after we went one nil up, um, because we just lack that sort of height, physicality at the back. So to me, there's a lot of weaknesses. I'm not saying that that they can't be overcome. Of course, there's always talk of you know it's a young team, it's been put together, it's a new team over the summer, it's a new manager, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's always this talk of, oh, it'll click, it'll click. And of course, after we batted Swansea, everyone's saying, right, it's clicked now. And then the next game, you know, we've, we've, we've not played very well and we've, we've ended up with a point against the mid-table team. So, yeah, things, things like that, take it with a pinch of salt. It's, uh, it's, of course, it's nice to be praised, but I'd rather have gone there and I'd rather have had the comments like Mark Robbins after the commentary and going, oh, well, they weren't that good. And you think, yeah, he's saying that because we've just beat And that's, that's, that's what I prefer to hear, so. Yeah. <laughs> you still like the gritty Burnley Tom that just like goes around and bugs everybody I know this about you now um, well we're just going to finish off the, the Birmingham analysis by a quick word from our opposition fans uh, the Blues Focus podcast gave us this following summary of what they thought of the game Hello, I'm Zach from the Blues Focus podcast and I'm here to talk about our 1-1 draw with yourselves on Wednesday. Now, from our point of view, a very, very good result. Obviously, you've started the season very well, being second in the league prior to Wednesday night's game and obviously ex-Premier League last season. So a 1-1 draw for us is certainly a result we are very, very pleased with. I thought defensively, we were certainly very good. Obviously, we did let in the goal for a bit of an error on the left-hand side from our wing-back Longolow. Um, Rodriguez also hit the post fairly early on in the first half but aside from that I think given how good you guys are going forward I think we limited your chances very well 
Um, I don't think you've threatened us on too many occasions. Um, so given what kind of side you are and how, how good you are going forward, certainly very happy with the way we defended. thought in the middle of the park we were very good as well. I thought Hannibal Mabry um, certainly proved to be a very good signing for us over the summer. I thought he had a really good performance. He was everywhere on the pitch. And I certainly thought going forward as well, we had a fair few chances like yourselves. Um, it was really nice to see 18-year-old George Hall come on um, and assist Scott Hogan's goal. So that was brilliant to see. Um, but overall, from our point of view, we're certainly happy with a point. Um, I think we put in a good performance um, and we're really happy. We're just having a decent season for once. But no, overall, good game. I think a point apiece is certainly a fair result. So thanks for having me on, guys, and good luck for the rest of the season. Well, this is before we move on to have a look ahead to this weekend's fixture against Sunderland. We do, of course, have a quiz question answer that we need to give you. Um, the last preview show, we asked you the following question. Ray Pointer, with four goals, is Burnley's second highest goal scorer in away games against Birmingham. But one Burnley player amassed double that total with eight goals. Can you name the player and his unique goal-scoring achievement? Now, Tom, Rich, I thought this was an absolute stinker. Did any of you know what this was? No, not a clue. Yeah, no, me neither. The answer was a gentleman called Louis Page. He's Burnley's top scorer in away games at Birmingham with eight. And his unique feature was that he scored six of them, a double hat-trick in one match in a 7-1 away win in April 1926. Hang on a minute. I'm going to have... What is that nonsense? Dave, if you're listening, st- stuck in your little remote working analysis show, sorry, preview show studio. We're having a word about your questions, 1926. And we had some correct answers from our lovely bunch of listeners. Jan got both of these right. Jan, you are turning into being our resident quiz question expert. Um, Got the double hat trick and he got the name. So that is very impressive knowledge. And a shout out to friend of the show, Adrian as well, Adrian Curtin, who also got um, the name right. Well, listeners, for a more sensible question, wait until the end of the show and we will let you know what this week's quiz question was. In the meantime, it is Sunderland away, Saturday the 22nd of October, a 3pm kickoff, and we are going to go over to the nonsense that is Dave Roberts, who's going to give us his championship head-to-head. There have been over 50 league seasons when Sunderland and Burnley have faced off. 2022-23 is in fact the 52nd, with most of those 42 in the top flight. This will be our 10th season together in the second tier, and in this section we will explore our previous nine second tier away games at Sunderland in a bit more detail. All of our nine previous second tier away trips have been since 1970, and there have only been a further three top flight seasons together since then. During the 1970s, Burnley played five second-tier league matches at Roker Park, which was Sunderland's previous home. During the 70s and early 80s, Burnley lost four times and won just once. And as that win is our only victory in our nine previous second-tier away trips, I think we'd better keep that one back as our memory match. The other defeats in the 1970s and 1980s included a curious 4-3 defeat in April 1972. In that match, the home side took the lead in the 39th minute, but Burnley hit back twice before half-time to take a 2-1 lead. 
when Frank Casper scored again just before the hour mark, there were high hopes of a Burnley win. But the home side fought back and scored three more goals in a devastating four-minute spell, helped by some diabolical defending. I was once castigated for describing this match as a thriller, and although it did produce seven goals, it was not a result or performance that Burnley fans of a certain vintage would want to remember, even if it might have been entertaining for the home fans and for any neutrals who happened to be watching. Our other three second-tier defeats at Roker Park in this era were a 3-0 loss in August 1977, a 3-1 defeat in early February 1979 and a heavy 5-0 defeat in February 1980. Our only second-tier visit in the 1990s was in October 1994 and that match ended in a goalless draw. Into the 21st century and we managed another point from a 1-1 draw in November 2003, which leaves just two more second-tier trips to Sunderland which both ended in defeat. In December 2004, Steve Cottrell's Clarets lost 2-1, and then in April 2007, an entertaining match, which was shown live on Sky Sports, ended as another victory for the home side by a 3-2 scoreline, as they edged their way towards promotion under Roy Keane. So in summary, there have been nine previous second-tier away trips. Burnley have won just one, drawn twice, and lost six. Okay, gentlemen, back into the studio. We've also had some graphics about certain bunch of players who have played for both Burnley and Sunderland. You've both got the graphics there. Rich, let's come to you first. Any standout names for you that you particularly enjoyed reminiscing about? Yeah, so looking at the list, I don't want to repeat it. Uh, I think, listen, Phil Bard is obviously on there. I mentioned him in the Stoke podcast. Um, a real modern quality claret for Burnley. I'm going to go for... Uh, the captain who won the playoff final for us in 2009, Steve Caldwell, who seemed to sign like, it didn't look like we were signing anybody on deadline. And then we woke up in the morning and he was announced. And yeah, listen, good, really, really good player, Caldwell. Him and Carlisle at the back, they could give you an heart attack at, at times, but almost when they really <laughs> needed to, um, when they when they both really needed to stand up, they were excellent for us. So yeah, I'm going to go Stevie, Steve, Steve Caldwell for That's mine. It. That's a great shout. What about you, Tom? Any fan favourites in there? Uh, the one that sprang out for me would probably be the one that sprang out for Sunderland fans as well, uh, Kevin Ball. Yes. There's uh, one particular uh, tackle that he's remembered for, chiefly amongst Burnley fans. But I think uh, he was a really good uh, steadying influence. You think of when he came in, we just got promoted back to the second tier. It's been a long time since we've been able to establish ourselves at that level. And I think he was a big... Signs of his calibre were a big reason why we, we stayed in that league, you know, after just coming up and obviously that built the platform for, for where we are now as a club. So, yeah, very, very highly thought of. I mean, he's a very good player. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some of the more modern players, listeners who have played for both Burnley and Sunderland, we've got, obviously we've mentioned Balsy already, but Ryan Noble, Jimmy Dunn, Ross Wallace, Stephen Fletcher. Um, going back a little bit further, Andy Cole, a name that I completely missed, but uh, my colleagues here have reminded me who he was. Um, Stanislas Volga, who we signed in the first promotion season, but did his uh, ACL, was it, in the, in the early start of the season? So was with us that season, but only played... A handful of games. How many did he play? Is it on here? 11. 11 games in total. So going back a little bit further for some of our older listeners, we've got players like Andy Marriott, Brian Mooney, Gary Rowell, Peter Daniel, uh, Leighton James, 
obviously a massive Claret, played 399 uh, uh, games for the Claret. So also played 52 for Sunderland as well. So My dad uh, says he's the best player he's seen for Burnley late in James. My dad says the same thing, definitely. I think he is. So, yeah. yeah. He's a very firm favourite amongst mm. our older generation. So we will we'll post that graphic at some point, listeners, but there are some absolute gems on there for you to have a look with. But in the meantime, we're going to head back to Dave Roberts, Statman Dave, and he's going to give us this week's. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Memory match. Away from the constraints of our championship head-to-head list, it is worth remembering that Burnley did win a cup game at Sunderland. Uh, That was in February 1979. When the Clarets put aside the disappointment of a league defeat at Rogue Park a few weeks earlier to win an FA Cup fourth-round replay 3-0. However, our one and only second-tier away win at Sunderland was from our 1972-73 second division promotion-winning season. The match in question took place at Roker Park in early December 1972. Jimmy Adamson was the Burnley manager and Bob Stoker was in charge of Sunderland. The Burnley Express headline read, Clarets play cool and the opening paragraph of the match report declared that one word summed up the difference between the two teams. Composure. Burnley had it, Sunderland did not. The Clarets, captained by Martin Dobson, lined up with Alan Stevenson in goal, and there were some familiar names in front of him. Doherty, Newton, Dobson, Waldron, Thompson, Nulty, Casper, Fletcher, Collins and James. Billy Ingham was the unused substitute. After a goalless first half, the only goal of the game came when Doug Collins beat two defenders and after a missed kick from Mick Horswell, Jeff Nulty headed the ball down for Paul Fletcher to shoot past Jimmy Montgomery in the 70th minute. Despite further pressure from the Wearsiders in the last 20 minutes, the resilient Clarets held on comfortably for a win and two valuable points. After the match, Jimmy Adamson was pleased with his team's win, but was less happy about the first half performance. However, Colin Waldron in particular was singled out for praise by his manager, although the efforts of Keith Newton, Alan Stevenson and Paul Fletcher did not go unnoticed. By the way, the attendance back in 1972 was only 16,812, whereas we're expecting there to be a bumper crowd of well over 40,000 this Saturday. The victory put Burnley three points clear at the top of the second division table, and they continued their momentum to be crowned champions at the end of the season. And as we always tend to do, listeners, we do like to give you an opposition view. Uh, we are hot off the press, not yet knowing whether we have secured our Sunderland fan. We have approached um, Walk the Fork podcast, who are supposed to be 
um, giving us an opposition view and we're going to preview theirs as well. As of recording, I'm sorry, I haven't got that confirmed yet. So I'm going to leave a gap in this recording and there will either be an opposition view or I'll be coming back. Ooh, exciting. So, yeah, it's been a really interesting start of the season for Sunderland. I think, um, what are we, 15 games deep now or so? And I think if you'd given Sunderland fans the option to be where they are now at the start of the season after this many games, I think we probably would have snapped your hand off. But I suppose the, the way football is, things change and, and you look at different aspects, don't you? I mean, obviously, we, we started the season really well. We started with um, two wins, I think, in the first four um, didn't lose a single game in the first four, obviously. That could have been four wins in four as well, but for a last-minute equaliser for QPR and also like a late, late equaliser for uh, Coventry as well. So we started the season with a 1-1 draw at Coventry. Um, we then went and beat Bristol City, 3-2. Um, we also, we were tuning up against QPR with three minutes to go. Their first shot on target was a, a brilliant free kick um, from 30 yards out. And then lo and behold, their goalkeeper, goes and heads in uh, an equaliser and then we go to Stoke and win and, and everything's hunky-dory and everything's fantastic and and you don't worry too much and you think oh brilliant under Alex Neal this is going to be um, fantastic but um, I, I think most people know by now that Alex decided his future would be better with um, Stoke City which I don't know 100% if I agree with him but it's by the by he's, he's now gone but that was a big upheaval um, we're used to losing managers at Sunderland or, or used to sort of changing managers I suppose Um and Alex felt like the perfect fit, so it was a big blow. But I suppose the long story short is it's it's really good that it's been quite a seamless transition with Tony Mowbray. Um, in many ways, we probably play slightly more attractive football. The results don't look as good on paper, but I mean, I'll give you the reason behind that. We, in Mowbray's, I think it was his first game in charge, we lost our best player, which was Ross Stewart, who had scored five goals already by that point. That was nine games ago in Tony Mowbray's uh, third game in charge. We lost Ellis Sims, which was the game against Reading, which we actually went on to win 3-1. Now, whether you point the finger at recruitment, whether you point the finger at um, whoever you want, really, ultimately we are playing at the moment with no strikers and have played with no strikers for now nine games, which essentially means that the team you'll see set up against Burnley on on Saturday, we'll have no strikers in. Um, we've been dealing with that for a while. The fact that we've actually managed to compete in every game and pick up a couple of wins and a couple of points at places like Oxford is is probably massive. But going back to what I said at the, the start of, of this sort of little segment, when I said we were happy with the... We would have been happy with the start of the season. I think if you have one for striker or a striker, or even if you know Ross Stewart hadn't got injured... I'd like to think we could be pushing for playoffs, and I don't think that was anyone's aim, but there's nothing in this league that I wouldn't necessarily say put fear into me. I thought the, the jump up would be absolutely massive, and I think outside of Sheffield United, Norwich, um, and probably to an extent you could maybe say, oh, I was going to say Blackburn, but actually no, I, I didn't think much of Blackburn. If anyone watched the game, I think a couple of decisions then probably would have got something out of that game as well. But um, I think ultimately, you know, it's we are happy. We're really content. Things are quite harmonious at Sunderland for once, which is really surprising considering we've lost both of our strikers. We're playing with no strikers. 
we lost the manager that got us up. It's all very Sunderland for that to happen. But I think for once, Sunderland fans have, you know, tried our best to remain as harmonious as possible and stay united behind the team as best we can. And um, we're doing all right, but we are now starting to really miss the strikers. Um, Ellis Sims is not going to be back for Saturday. I think he's back on the training pitch on Monday, which will be massive for us just to have a focal point. Um, missing Ross Stewart was always going to be the big one, but missing just a striker that can play as a centre forward is huge. And I think that'll probably, unfortunately, be for us our undoing um, probably again on um, Saturday. Because I think I said this on another Burnley podcast, but um, I, I think Burnley from the teams I've seen are far and wide the, the best side in the league. I think you'll probably have a little bit too much for us. And it's a bit of a free hit for us in many ways, because I think your ambitions in comparison to ours at the moment are, are probably a little bit apart and um, they're certainly not parallel in terms of how we'll set up i'd be really surprised if tony mobay makes too many changes he doesn't tend to make that many changes and he certainly can't make that many changes at the moment there's um maybe a change that's going to have to happen at the back which is um agi alessi who's been an absolute revelation since he came in against Reading. Um, he's unfortunately in a moon boot for the next four weeks um after getting injured during the week against blackburn so he's out um, you can almost 100% expect Anthony Patterson to be in the net. A good young goalkeeper, done really well this season, grown game on game. And then I would expect a back three that can occasionally revert to a back four, I suppose, when you're attacking. Um, the back three will consist of most likely Luke Nine on the right-hand side, uh, Danny Bart, who's arguably been our player of the season, in the centre of that three, and then Dennis Serkin, who's, um, I think, destined to be a Premier League player been looked at by Spurs again who we actually bought him from and um, Brentford he'll be on the left you'll have on the the sort of right back right wing back I think Lyndon Gooch is fit enough to play it'll be interesting who plays on the left because Jack Clark normally takes that position but he's been playing up front recently but I think maybe needs must he might go back there um, in the midfield Corey Evans will probably continue alongside Dan Neal in the middle and then it'll be a combination of a couple of people who can sort of play up front. You'll you'll see probably, you know, three of maybe um, Roberts, Clark, and Pritchard. Um, Elliot Embleton can play there as well. But Sunderland fans, I think, would like to see a couple of changes. Maybe Ahmad Diallo come in um, and potentially maybe bring in uh, Jewison Benetti, who's a young boy we brought in from Costa Rica. Costa Rica's youngest ever international um but i can't see much changes happening ultimately the team you'll be facing on saturday will play nice football we will likely try and have a go at you but um we're seriously lacking strikers and i think that'll be unfortunately our, our undoing but i do hope i'm wrong and finally let's give you some details of our referee on sunderland now unless the efl decide to make another late change Tim Robinson of Bognor Regis is due to take charge of the mat at the Stadium of Light on Saturday afternoon. We've seen Tim, Tim Robinson in the middle for a couple of previous matches, both of which were at Turf Moor. He was a referee for a 2-0 Burnley win over Rotherham in the Championship in 2016, as well as a 1-0 Burnley win over Newcastle United in December 2019. There were no red cards in either of those two matches, but he did send a player off for both teams in the Cardiff versus Norwich match on the opening day of this season. There have been no further dismissals in his nine games since then. So let's hope that he's got those red cards 
out of his system and we are all good. Um, so, gentlemen, let's come to you first, Tom. How are you feeling about the weekend's game? What can we expect and what are our chances of winning? Probably a 1-1 one, one draw. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I think Sunderland um, have been a bit inconsistent. Obviously, they've just come up themselves. Um, they've got a few injuries, I know, they're struggling for, for strikers, so not that many goals in the team at the minute. So you'd hope that if we can follow the pattern, and I think it's a ridiculous record we've got, isn't it? It's like the last 11 games or something, we scored the first goal, which is really impressive. So if we can continue that, you'd like to think that Sunderland, lacking a bit of firepower at the minute, it might be a game where it's a bit easier for us to cling on to. You know, uh, the, the last 10 minutes on uh, on Wednesday night, they were throwing, they had all the big lads up front, Dini and Jukovic winning all the headers. I don't think some of them have got that kind of same level of physicality up front or the experience. So uh, hopefully an early goal, um, it would be very nice if we could go on and get a second. That would make everything a lot more comfortable. But I see it as a winnable game, um, especially after they, uh, they gave all three points to our, our near neighbours on, on Tuesday night. It would only be fair and charitable for them to do the same for us. Amen to that. Um, Rich, for you, are you starting to see a more settled side now or injuries aside? You know, what are you expecting his approach is going to be to the team? Yeah, I think just agree with what Tom was saying there. I think Sunderland, I think like I've just looked there in the last five games are 18th in the form table. Um, so, you know, and obviously they're not in great form and they're also missing a lot less Drogba. That's a big miss for them in Ross Stewart. Um, he's out, I think, until after the international break. So, um, yeah, I think I've got a feeling from what company said after. I think Matson might be injured. Um, I don't think it will happen, but I and I think Bayer's going to be fit. I, I'd put Taylor left back. I know people might disagree, but I just think he gives you a little bit more solidity and then put Vitinho back to right back. Um, I think the rest of the team will probably stay the same on. It's just a difficult one, isn't it? Like Cork and Cork's so good and Jay's been so good, but he did look a little bit leggy mm. um, yesterday on, on Wednesday. So fingers crossed that they've obviously got good recovery and got good resting. Um, you know, this is the issue, isn't it? Especially with Jay, we've literally got nobody to bring on in his place. Yeah. You know, you, know you, you know, you can't be starting Barnes anymore at this level. And I know Costello scored a hat-trick for the under-21s, but is he ready to start up front or maybe to get more game time? So... Yeah, I think it's good. I think company's got a better idea now of his starting eleven. I think the, I think the starting elevens that started the games against Coventry and and um, UWB and, and Swans in that fantastic performance, um, are you know look like his best eleven. It's just a kind of case of players players fit and etc. But I watched Sunderland and, and Blackburn the other day and, and and Sunderland don't look great at the moment. Like Tom no. said, not much firepower up front. So. But yeah, of course, it'll be a difficult game. You know, always, you know, there's no really easy games in the championship. You know, like you know, get, you've seen a few weeks ago. I, I just thought Sheffield United, especially, were going to romp home with it, and they've had they a terrible. Really, run. yeah, they look really you know, and, good at the moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, I know they've had injuries. So, like I said, I I feel like Tom said it's. I'd, I'd, you know, one all seems the logical prediction really at the moment, but at the same time, you, you, you know, you just don't know what you're going to expect. You know, my colleagues on the podcast felt Burnley were going to lose and get battered against Swansea, and we won four nil. Um, I wasn't one of them. I'm not digging out names. Um, I guessed four one. I guessed four nil to Burnley, so, so it wasn't me. Yeah, so we, yeah, so so who knows? I think. <laughs> Fingers crossed a little bit, like Coventry. If we do go one 0 up and it's 10, 15 minutes to go, hopefully we go a. You know, we're not as gun called, but again, you know, I'm, I'm really, I know Tom's going too. I'm looking forward to going. Mm. I, think, I think we sold out, haven't we, Tom? I think that's correct. 
And I think, uh, yeah, and I think the last time I went to Coventry, somebody committed another, someone maybe, uh, sorry, last time I went to Sunderland, Graham Branch scored in a 2-1 defeat. Branch, um, wow. So I don't know what year that was, but I was very young and the fella felt was drunk, fell asleep in front of me, woke up for our goal and then fell back asleep for the rest of the game. Excellent. That's my, that's my main memory <laughs> from my own trip to Sunderland. That is the epitome of the Football League. I love it. Well, I'm not going to let you go, Rich, without giving me your prediction, please. Try not to make it 1-1. 2-1 Burnley. Excellent. Tom? 2-0. 2-0. Excellent. Well, again... Bromers Bankers this week is going to agree with one of our panellists. It's not you, Rich, I'm sorry. He's going to now give me accusations. Oh, Tom's your favourite. I also think that the Clarets are going to win 2-0. Um, just, I just think we'll, we'll we'll keep a clean sheet this time. So, and more than anything, I don't think Sunderland have got that much firepower, so I think we'll keep a clean sheet. So 2-0 to the Clarets. Listeners, send us your score predictions ahead of the game. You can tweet us at None and Ever, or you can leave us a comment on our Facebook page. Uh, we're going to leave the preview show now, going heading back to Statman Day for one final time. Who's going to delve deep into those pockets of his and give us your miscellaneous stat of the week? Despite relinquishing yet another lead at St Andrews on Wednesday, as Birmingham City became the latest team to come from behind to earn a 1 1 draw, Burnley remain on an impressive unbeaten run of 12 league games and 13 games in total, including the League Cup win at Shrewsbury. If 1-1 seems familiar, it is. From eight draws in the league so far, seven have finished 1-1, the exception being the 3-3 draw against Blackpool. In fact, Burnley haven't been behind during a match since the fourth league game of the season, when Ozan Tufan opened the scoring for Hull City in the 1-1 draw at Turf Moor in mid-August. Impressive as the unbeaten run is, we need to hold on to more of the leads we are creating if we're going to realistically push for an automatic promotion place this season. No FPL update this week, I'm afraid, listeners. We are actually right in the middle of game week 12, so we will have to go back to our FPL expert, Adam Dennett, and give you an update uh, probably next week's preview show. But do carry on. I'm a little bit out of loop with what's happening with the FPL so I do need to catch up with Adam and find out what's going on um, but I do hope you're all enjoying it still um, any of those managers that are top of the league do drop me a line I want to know what, you, what your um, strategy is please because I have Holland in my squad and he's captain and I'm still not winning and I don't understand why so yeah do do send me your hints and tips please and we'll look to um, as we start to get towards the um, World Cup break we're going to get some of our guests in who will be able to give us some tips about what we do with this break. I think there's free wild cards around and you can essentially start again from scratch. So let's see what that comes up with. Uh, but we leave you this week with, of course, another known and ever quiz question. Dave, I'm going to say, has he been kinder this week? Goodness knows. Let's find out. What has young Statman Dave left us? He has said, who was the last Burnley player to score a goal for the Clarets at Roker Park? And who was the first Burnley player to score for the club at the Stadium of Light. So, obviously, at some point, Sunderland moved from one ground to another. We want to know who the, the Clarets player was who scored the last goal at their old ground and the first goal at their new one. Um, you can submit your answers, please. Uh, you can tweet us at None and Ever. Actually, send us a DM, then other people don't know. Um, you can leave us a comment on our Facebook page or you can... Um, you can uh, email us, sorry, at 
preview show at knownandever.net. And those eagle-eared listeners of yours may know the answer to at least one of those questions. Um, That is all we have time for. My thanks as ever go to my colleagues, Tom and Rich, for joining me and for Statman Day for pulling all of that together. This has been the preview show brought to you by the Known and Never podcast. I am your host and editor, Natalie Bromley. Our producer is Matt Moss and our statistician is Dave Roberts. Our FPL expert is Adam Dennett and we are joined by our analysis show team, which is made up of Tom Whitaker, Rich Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby, Robert Kopak and Adam Dennett. Our music's by George Gaskell and our newsletter team is headed up by James Smith. You can subscribe to our newsletter if you don't already at substack.noneandever.com. We are supported by our partners TalkSport and we are very proud to be part of the fan network. Listeners, that is all we have time for. Join us next week for the analysis show and the preview show. Take care of yourselves and take care of the others. This has been the Not Another Podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.